0: David, you mentioned there are legislative and regulatory issues that are um, directly will affect uh, kidney care. Do you want to sort of go through some of those really quickly?
1: Sure. Uh, I think first and foremost, there is going to be uh, dis- there's going to be a real push and there is already a push uh, on Capitol Hill to adjust or neutralize for the time being some of the cuts and offsets, uh, particularly around uh, labor cost uh, in the country right now. And they are having massive impact in nephrology, uh, particularly in cases of dialysis facilities um, where the, there is a tremendous crunch uh, in terms of cost and also labor shortages. Um, and a lot of the labor shortages are being met with travel nurses, um, which can be a very, very, very expensive way in which to approach your, your, your situation, a, a very expensive way to approach staffing. Um, So, there's a lot of conversation around that. There's conversation around the clinical labor cost cuts that would impact vascular access opportunities and could actually, in the end, push more people into positions where they have to go into hospitals for even more expensive vascular access care uh, to the system than it would be otherwise, which is kind of very counterintuitive. There is also a conversation about of looking at the issue of paying for both a limited amount of dialysis and hospice at the same time. Something that every one of our listeners knows is a, it's a, just a very sad situation when it, when it, when they come together and you and I both have talked about it before and have seen it happen, um, where you have to make a choice one way or the other, uh, for, uh, of so an individual who is probably ready for hospice care and they're trying to make a transition on dialysis. Uh, I think that one really has potential to get worked into some kind of an agreement um, hopefully this year.
0: That would be great. So it sounds like you're optimistic about the, the final one. I guess the, the one before that about that da- um, payment for vascular access or dialysis access. What's your guess as to how that will turn out?
1: actually i i probably should restate that a little bit i think that part of the reason why the other one the the one could could be promising is that the it, it would be far less expensive but also the fact that the dallas's uh facility one may really the labor costs there may really need some attention from congress this year or really does need attention from congress this year could make it possible that that gets combined but we don't know that yet. We've just been talking about it and looking at it. And uh, some of the same players in Capitol Hill are involved in looking at, at all those issues. So they could somehow end up being put together. But this is a very, very early prediction. And, um, you know, just don't uh, as always, don't hold me to it. Um, but I think I, I would be encouraged uh, about that conversation. I think everyone knows that there's going to have to be some work around the labor cost issue in healthcare.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because I've, in the last month or so, I've been in a number of of meetings and discussions and and the issue of healthcare workforce in general and the nephrology workforce in particular has come up. And and you mentioned some of the challenges um, related to the the workforce of nephrology nurses. Um, There was a report that came out earlier this year that was an international sort of collaboration around sort of estimating um, you know what the nursing shortage is likely to look at look like over the next decade, and, and this group estimated that it'll be you know, up to th- that we may be short up to 13 million nurses globally. Um, currently, there's about 28 million nurses that that um, um, work across the, the planet. So you sort of think about that in terms of you know what that shortage could be, and um, specifically for the United States, um, there was an estimate um, by McKinsey and Company that it would be somewhere between. 200,000 and 450,000 nurses by, um, in the next couple of years. And so, um, you know, that's moving quickly into, it's already a crisis, and I think it's going to be, you know, even more of a, a crisis, and I think we'll have implications across the healthcare system. Um, if you shift gears and think about the physician workforce, at least in the United States, um, the Association of American Medical Colleges has estimated will be short somewhere between, you know, 37 1, to 124,000 physicians by 2034. So, you know, that outlook, both for nurses and for physicians, including nephrologists, is, is not um, optimistic. And I'm just sort of curious as to when you are either on Capitol Hill or, or interacting with the, the regulatory, you know, HHS and others, sort of what you're hearing about these issues.
1: I think that these issues are, are just kind of uh, they're hard to get your mind wrapped around because it's very difficult to figure out what you could do, what levers you pull uh, and change. Um, you know, the most common one often referred to is, is thoughts of uh, loan forgiveness, um, particularly around nursing. As that's been a, a very big issue uh, about the idea of being able to create programs that would absorb those and therefore really incentivize people to go into a space that they might come out of debt-free and be able to work, um, you know, within a salary range that would, you know, that could make things very attractive for some people. Um, and that would be, you know, that would certainly be something that I think we would talk, uh, we would look at very positively and, and try to figure out. So while we would certainly consider a proposal like that for nephrology nurses, once you start to ask for that, then every nursing group in the country is going to say the same thing. And, and maybe that would be the better approach. Um, but it's, it is certainly, uh, going to be very expensive. I find one of the things very, um, disturbing that is dawning on people is that we are in a really focused period where we are trying to deal with, um, the inequities and um, the access issues around healthcare and around access to doctors and access to everything else that is needed for to keep people healthy um and if you look at those numbers and you it doesn't take much thinking to figure out that when those things begin to happen they're going to really affect those individuals who already have access issues um they're going to be some of the people most squeezed by that and so if if you're in a rural area lower income and and just in a lot of different categories where you generally are not getting access to care the way, you know, that a lot of us believe everyone should have a right to in the United States, um, then you can begin to see that the writing on the wall, which says that that situation gets
0: worse. Yeah, you know, you're raising two separate issues that I'd like to try to parse and, and address separately. So, so the, let me do them in reverse order. So, the first is this issue of healthcare justice and, if you have shortages of health professionals, including physicians and nurses, then populations that are already underserved are going to be are going to have even less access. And so um, do you think the solution for that from a policy perspective is, is by focusing on the workforce, or do you think there are other levers within the healthcare system or within society? I mean, I'm just kind of curious as to your advice as to what a potential policy agenda would look like.
1: I think I think you're going to to really address that you're going to have to go across the board and I think workforce issues would be very important uh and very useful but you wouldn't stop there um and there's a lot of uh, groups uh, in the government and outside the government who are trying to figure out how to more equitably access um care for a lot of people in the United States who seem to to be uh really not able to do as well um so it's 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 going to be a lot of different things and um as you know, we, we really have been focusing on this very heavily for many years at ASN, um, because we really do see the impact of, of inequities in kidney care and in kidney disease. So that's really a, a critical thing that just, it's just not going to get fixed with one thing alone. But yes, the workforce issues do need to be addressed. And I think Congress is going to have to do some even more dramatic things than it has already done in terms of trying to, uh, so, for example, of the Conrad 30, which, you know, I'm not the best one to describe Conrad 30. Can you do it, Todd?
0: Yeah. So so essentially, the, the, the Conrad 30 waiver program, which is named for um, a former U.S. senator from North, North Dakota, Kent Conrad, um, is a waiver program. And it allows um, international graduates who are on J-1 visas to essentially have a waiver to, to serve and under... To, to work in areas that are, that are underserved in terms of not having adequate um, number of physicians. Um, and, and part of the challenge is it's very targeted to primary care physicians. So it kind of gets to the first point that you made about the workforce that I wanted to circle back to when, when we parse the two issues, which is, is as much as we'd like to look at these from the perspective of um, nephrology, I think the challenge is that if we have shortages of—even though we have shortages of nephrologists and nephrology nurses, that's within a broader context of shortages of physicians, particularly primary care physicians and, um, and and nurses. And so it's difficult for ASN and for the kidney community to advocate specifically for support to increase the supply of nephrologists and nephrology nurses— because you've got all these other organizations either advocating for their specific specialty or trying to do this collectively. And I think that becomes the challenge, if you think of this from a from a how you put together an advocacy effort. I just want to make sure I have that correct before we move on. Yes, I think you have that in proper perspective. So, so maybe just to, to move to a third issue, um, you know, if, if 2022 is the year of the tiger and the Chinese zodiac. It's also the year of private equity and nephrology. And we just, you know, it seems like every month there's announcements of new partnerships and activities. And I'm just curious as to how that's being received in the policy arena.
1: Well, I think everyone is trying to figure out exactly uh, where this goes. Uh, it's clear that the trends, um, you know, are, are very, very, you know, the stakes are very, very high. Uh, a couple of months ago, in the Senate Banking Committee, uh, the discussion of private equity in healthcare, um, the the number that was used most commonly was seven hundred and fifty billion dollars over the last ten years had been invested in um, in healthcare private equity, and I, and I think most people would say that number is underreported. There's a lot of different ways in which you go about that, and so you know that is changing dramatically. Um, kind of certain things about premises about the way healthcare will be delivered and, and also even things like healthcare debt and how it will be, uh, pursued, uh, which has been a very big interest to, um, Senator Elizabeth Warren, uh, Democrat of Massachusetts. Um, and she did talk about that, uh, at that banking hearing that I'm mentioning. Um, but it's really kind of, uh, an amazing, um, amount of money coming into the system. But I think, And I think you and I have talked about this some. The interesting thing is it hasn't been as prevalent in the kidney space as it has been uh, in other spaces. And I think now we're beginning to see that change. And I think that has some groups, uh, you know, a little bit more concern.
0: When you say some groups, what do you mean?
1: Well... Uh, I would imagine that if you're in the, in the business of providing dialysis, uh, that you might be concerned about seeing some of those space, that, some of that, that movement into there. Um, we're definitely seeing it in terms of uh, various new uh, groups coming in to try to bundle together uh, patients who have kidney issues, who have already been, have been put into Medicare Advantage or who've joined Medicare Advantage. Um, and what, how will that change, particularly since those uh, those groups will be handled on a contractual basis and not necessarily the same way the government oversees the patients that are in regular fee-for-service Medicare?
0: Yeah, I guess, you know, it's interesting. I, you mentioned Medicare Advantage, um, and we haven't talked as much about that. I'm, I'm kind of curious as to, um, it, it seems like that's almost the transitional step, um, I don't I don't know if you think that's right. I mean, I'm trying to think of how to ask this question.
1: Well, I think that the the question is is will Medicare Advantage be a catalyst or will it be an outcome? And I th- I think that it may uh, it it may actually become a bit of a catalyst. And let's just say that Medicare Advantage has the chance to be a game changer along with the introduction of private equity into dealing more with um, you know cohorts of kidney patients.
0: So, David, one one last question. Um, you mentioned that that between Medicare Advantage and private equity, it'll be transformative for nephrology care, including dialysis care. What do you see as the role of the nephrologist in this this brave new world?
1: Well, I sh- I should say you said would be transformative, and you're quoting me, and I should say could be transformative, um, because I think that there's there are certain factors there. But um, the role of the nephrologist is is very interesting. Um, there are some listeners out there who are concerned that they think that nephrology practices are going to come under a lot of pressure to be bought out uh, by private equity groups and also even possibly by dialysis providers. Um, I'm not saying that's the case, so please don't, uh, you know, uh, have everyone call up to say that, you know, I'm trying to, like, scare people. I'm not, I'm just saying that there's some interest in that. Uh, you know, I think there's going to be some real change in terms of just how, what the role is, uh, of a nephrologist as we look at more tailored and, um, more really kind of specific accountable care organizations, which is really where we're, we're trying to go to order to contain cost. And I think it's going to be a, a very interesting point at which, uh, nephrologists are going to, we're going to really be talking a lot about, you know, the value of the nephrologist in the healthcare system. Um, and I know we've already been talking about that a great deal um, that uh, you've been working with a lot in different entities, different groups within the association, within the society.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good place to stop. And and maybe, you know, we've already had a previous discussion about this um, ASN task force on the future of nephrology um, that group is, is meeting weekly and is really um, starting to have just a fascinating conversation about sort of where nephrology could head as a specialty, and I look forward to updating that um, with you and also inviting um, others involved in that project to participate in future discussions. So, so maybe we should stop there, and, um, you know, again, David, I appreciate your taking the time and, and everything you do to, to, to help advance all of these issues. Thank you, Todd.